Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Uh, in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, this particular scripture is not known for its, this is not one of Isaiah's messianic um, prophecies. Well, it kind of is, because the end of Isaiah 64 is where he talks about the potter and the clay, and we're going to get there. But uh, I want to read this, and what I want us to do is begin to look at this uh, through the lens of Advent with the idea of uh, what God has done for us and uh, continues to do. Now, before we read it, I do want to preface uh, a couple things. One of the things that I'd like to preface, just so we have it in our brain as we read this, uh, as we look at Advent as a four weeks leading up to, to Christmas, and we look at that through the lens of what the Jewish community was going through up until Christ was born. Uh, if we go back through the history and go all the way back to Genesis, God had always, God had always spoken through his people. Uh, there were very few times of silence. And some of them we don't even really ever acknowledge because they happen so quick. It's like one verse to the next, and we don't really realize, oh, that was 400 years, right? So um, really from the time that Joseph um, brings his family from where they were at into Egypt and then Moses coming on the scene and then bringing the people out of Egypt was about that. It was, it was hundreds of years. It was you know, two, three, four hundred years. Um, and we don't see a lot of God speaking to his people. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't. We just don't see it. But we see from the beginning, God speaking directly to Adam and Eve, and God speaking to Abraham. God spoke to Noah and said, here's what I want you to do. And God spoke to Abraham, and God spoke to Joseph. And then God began to speak to, to the people through others. So like Moses was that guy who spoke to the Israelites. God spoke to Moses. God took, Moses took that word and spoke it to the Israelites. And that kind of began the trend. And then they had the judges, and the judges would kind of do that work. And then they, they begged for a king, and so the king began to be that. But then the kings were what? They weren't good. Most of them weren't. You know, uh, Saul, the very first king, made some bad mistakes. And so his leadership was taken from him, and it was given to David. And you know, David was a good king. He made his mistakes. But even through those mistakes... Scripture tells us that David was a man who had a heart that was fashioned like after God's, right? And then Solomon seemed to be, you know, okay. He had his issues, but God still spoke to Solomon. Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God granted that, and through that, Israel flourished, right? But then after that, it was a train wreck with kings. So it was hit or miss. And so God quit speaking to the people through the kings, and he began to speak to the kings through the prophets. And, we, and that is really what takes us up through the end of the Old Testament. However, from the, from the end of that until 
beginning of Matthew, where Matthew reads the genealogy, or any of the Gospels where it talks about here the Christ, the Messiah, came, God was pretty silent. And really, for the people, not for the prophets so much, but for the people, that silence started a long time before because they didn't listen to the prophets. And so to them, they were thinking, well, God just is not working. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. If you go back to the beginning of uh, Isaiah 63, which we're not going to read that, but just if you go back and read that, you'll see a traditional lament. God, why are you letting this happen? Remember what you did in the days past. And that was how a lot of laments happen. Remember David, if we read through Psalms, he's like, God, remember what you did. Why are you being silent? How long must I wait? And that was kind of the preface. So we're getting, actually, where we're going to pick up this is right at the beginning where God, how long, right? Um, But the prophet does begin with, Remember what you did in Egypt in bringing us out and the great displays of your power and how you showed yourself to Moses and all this stuff they have in their history, they have in their brain. And the prophet Isaiah is saying, God, remember when you did this. And so that's what happened up to 64. 64 verse 1. If only you would tear open heaven and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Just as fires, just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations will tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. They remember you in your ways, but we have sinned and you are angry. How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? All of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like polluted garments. All of us wither like a leaf. All of our iniquities carry us away like the wind. No one calls on your name. Striving to, yet Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our Potter. We are the work of your hands. Lord, do not be terribly angry or remember our iniquity forever. Please look. All of us are your people. And it begins with this plea: Oh, that you would tear open heaven and come down. Some of you. It says, oh, that you would rend this and come to us again. This frustration is really heard from the prophet, right? Like we can hear the frustration in his voice. If you would just tear open heaven, what is that? That is a grand display of God's power to rip this thing open. The frustration expressed reflects Isaiah's struggle as he tries to reconcile the ancient stories of God working in unbelievably powerful ways and we could sit here and name them right I mean we don't have to go too far into uh, the book of Genesis I think about the 11th chapter we begin to see the Noah story 
And the flood happens, and it was a display of God's power. And then we see uh, God working in kind of mysterious ways through Joseph being sold into slavery, but that in itself saved Egypt. That wasn't really the powerful thing. What was powerful was them coming out of Egypt, right? Well, first, even before they came out of Egypt, what did God do? He spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And then the ten plagues. And then they came out of Egypt. And then when they came out of Egypt, Moses went up on a mountain. And what happened? Like He saw God. And they saw kind of this event unfolding with the thunder and the lightning. And they knew something was happening up there. When there was sin in the community, the earth opened up and swallowed up a whole clan of people. God's power was displayed. And people knew it, Right? James has brought it out to us before, but um, was it Judges, James, where they were talking about the people seeing and Joshua? I knew it was right around there. Joshua were the people who were not part of the Israelite community. They knew what God was doing, right? They knew that God was leading his people. They were fearful of that. And Isaiah is saying, God, would you be that again for us? Because not only did that kind of create in us a fear of God that we kind of begin to follow you, but it also, I mean, if we're being honest, they find themselves in exile. God pulled them out of exile once before with these great things because what? Pharaoh was scared. Firstborn and every, every firstborn male died in all of Egypt. Animals too. That is a... Freaky thing. And so there's probably a little bit of selfishness in here. And God, would you display yourself so much that you would free us from this oppression that we find ourselves in? But also as a, prop, as a prophet, God, would you display yourself so much that we would have this sense of fear of who you are and how powerful you are that we would turn back to you. This is the frustration that we hear in the voice of the prophet. God's powerful presence juxtaposed with his silence is a tough thing for us to reconcile. In fact, some of you may have even had similar thoughts to this during the past nine months. God, why are you letting this happen? God, do you not know how powerful right, witness to you it would be if you healed the whole land of this right now? Right? Like that's not a, that's not a crazy thought. God, do you realize what a witness it would be to your power and your supremacy and who you are if you would do like you did in the old days? reveal yourself in those grand ways and they're not just old days they still happen today just we begin to feel the anxiousness and we begin to the silence begins to be almost deafening when we're in the midst of those places and we want to hear God speak and we want to feel him move and we want to hear him and it seemingly doesn't happen and this is where the prophet is speaking to us from today. 
only you would tear open heaven and come down so that the nations would quake at your presence just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water. And he qualifies it to make yourself known to your enemies so that nations will tremble at your presence. And he goes and talks about it. When you did awesome works, this is the kind of thing that happens. So this is, this is where... Dietrich Bonhoeffer found himself 70 years ago, I guess that would be. In 1944, if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was, a, I believe, a Lutheran pastor. And uh, he is really well known for, for two main things. One, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, which is... Um, been sold millions of times over for the past 75 years. Uh, the second thing he's really well known for is he was a part of an attempted assassination on Hitler's life because they saw Hitler as being very much against the work and cause of Christ. And so he was part of a group who did that. And he wasn't part of the people, but because he was part of the group, he was removed from society and placed in a concentration camp. In 1944, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. And, and if you know anything about his life and work, I would recommend reading The Cost of Discipleship. He was also uh, killed in this concentration camp about two months before it was liberated. And so in the midst of this, he's writing, he, he writes these words from a German concentration camp. And he dared to come to the logical conclusion God would have us know that we must live as men who manage our lives without him. The God who is with us is the God who forsakes us. And he quotes Mark 13, or Mark 15, where Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The God who lets us live in the world without the working hypothesis of God is the God before whom, before whom we stand continually. Before God and with God we live without God. God lets himself be pushed out of the world onto the cross. He is weak and powerless in the world. And that is precisely the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us. Now that seems a bit shocking. For Bonhoeffer, this realization didn't amount to a denial of faith, but a retrieval of his faith of a God on a cross whose power was in the suffering, uh, whose all-knowing ability uh, is what created vulnerability uh, for him. He knew all, but yet he gave all. And this is, for the believer, kind of where we wrestle, but also find comfort in God because we don't ever want to acknowledge or have this thought. Like a lot of us, if we had that thought, we would think, oh man, I'm losing my faith. But for Bonhoeffer, it wasn't. It was a source of strength because in that he realized that God came and did everything in a subservient way. His death was obviously that. It was a death on a cross. And it was through that vulnerability that God showed his ultimate power by defeating death and rising again. He came the exact same way. 
They were looking for a king. They were looking for the great power. They were looking for the sky to crack open. God, would you tear open heaven? Come down and show yourself. And he did. But not in the way that the prophet was praying here. Not in the way that we often pray. How did it happen? Through a baby. The most vulnerable of all. Nothing in the life, the birth, the life, and the death of Christ said anything to the world about power and the way that we strive for it. Yet in doing that, he showed ultimate power. It was in the fact that God came to us as a baby, took on human flesh, became one of us, was just like us, experienced pain, experienced heartache, experienced joy, experienced even silence, which is what Bonhoeffer was driving at. God even had this thought, God in flesh, Jesus himself, even had this thought just like this prophet Isaiah did. God, if you would just tear this open, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here? And that for us is great hope because we often find ourselves in a place like that. What Bonhoeffer discovered was that the hiddenness of God was not a cloak of humility temporarily covering an awesome power but rather a reflection of his divine character. A divine determination to relate to the world through the vulnerable path of non-coerciveness, of love, of the suffering servant, rather than through domination and force. And that, I think, is the source of my greatest confession. It's got I, I want it to be by domination and force. And yet nothing you did showed, showed me that. Nothing you did encouraged that thought. And we strive for that. We want power through every means that we can, whether it's Economic or political or, or uh, social or whatever amount of power we can get. That's what we want. And we want that to be the way that God displays himself. And God continually said, that's not how we're going to do this. I'm going to come as a baby. I'm going to live a very unassuming life. I'm going to die a death. That's shameful. Hung in between two thieves. But through that, I'm going to show unbelievable power. I'm going to show the source of true life. I'm going to show the source of true happiness. I'm going to show the source of true peace. And the prophet is speaking from the heart of the people here. God, if you would just tear up in heaven and do this, then we would have power and we would have peace and we would have... But where does the prophet end up? Yet, Lord, you are our father. You are the clay. 
or we are the clay and you are the potter. That is not where we often want to come to. That's why Job took 40 chapters to get to that point, right? Job could have been one chapter long. All this stuff happened. Job, you're God. I'm not. Do what you want to do. Story's over. Move on to the next one. 40 chapters. And who knows how many days of Job and his friends bellyaching till eventually Job gets to the point at the end of that book where he says, you are the creator. Who am I? How can I even speak to you and tell you what's good and tell you what's right? You are good. You're the only thing that's good. By your very nature, you're good. Everything you do is good. I'm just the created. So here I am. You are the potter and I am the clay. God's refusal to replicate this Red Sea type of experience and deliverance doesn't mean that God has abandoned Israel, right? Or the church today. Our hope does not rely on God acting today in the same way that he did yesterday. But it does rely on God being the same God today, yesterday, and forever. A God who hears all of our cries, who does not abandon us, and who will finally redeem us at the end of the age in a new heaven and a new earth. And so it is in this season of Advent that we, Christians, imaginatively enter a time of waiting for the Christ child who comes as God hidden in human form, who comes not to inaugurate this apocalyptic cleansing, which if we're honest is what we really are kind of would like to see, but to reveal power of the powerless and his self-giving on the cross. And so even in Advent, we come back around to Easter because that's who we are. We're people who live that constantly. We can't ever get past that. That is who we are. We are people in need of a Savior, and this was God's provision for that. In doing so, he reveals the will of the Father who is eternally and patiently modeling and shaping the clay of new creation into the new Jerusalem that he wants us to be. And so, as we begin Advent season, let us begin with the acknowledgement that the last nine months have been hard. And there may be some people in this room or people joining us online or listening online who that hard time went a lot further than nine months. Maybe it started two years ago. Maybe it started 10 years ago. We get to come as people who love and trust and believe in God, knowing that God suffered in this too. And it was in that suffering, but in that ultimate conquering of that suffering, that we have hope and that we have, and we can find our peace there and we can find our joy there. It is in that suffering that God did with us that we can find 
ultimate salvation, knowing that the Messiah experienced that. And so that's where we frame all of Advent season this year, is around this idea that the prophet Isaiah brought to us. God, would you crack the sky and come down? And we're going to be excited if that happens, right? But we also have to get to the end of these verses to say, but I'm just clay. You're the potter. Do what it is that you do to make me beautiful, to make me exactly what you want me to be, to make us exactly what you want us to be. And so we're going to come to a time of prayer. And it's in that time of prayer that I want us to acknowledge and to be able to get to the place where we can just very easily say, God, help me to be what it is that you want me to be through whatever means it is that you want to do that. No prayer gives me more hope and more anxiety than that one there. But it's what we ultimately want. We want to be the people that God wants us to be. We want to be the church that God wants us to be. And sometimes that doesn't look the way that we want it to look. And we have to be willing to acknowledge that and just say, you're the potter, we're the clay. We're in this season of what seems like silence as a nation, as a world for the last nine months. But God, what do you want for us out of this? How do you want to reform us to be a people who can speak into this, that can provide hope to those who don't have hope, that can provide an answer to what people are looking for, which is to be a part of the family of God. And we know that. And we, God may just be using this time to change us so that we can be the people who can effectively say that. And then afterwards, hopefully, is it changing the habit? Okay. We're going to say the Nicene Creed together. Okay, we, we, we're, we're in a period of time. We're not doing all, the, all of the uh, liturgy, but we are going to do the Nicene Creed. But here's, here's the interesting thing. The Nicene Creed... Came at, it, it came about in about a, a century or two after Jesus, well, actually about three centuries after Jesus died, they convened to say, we need to get together and say what it is that we believe because there's a lot of heresies going on. There's a lot of heretical teaching where people are just taking parts of, of what we believe and kind of twisting it and forming it to what they want to believe. We need to get together and write down what it is, the core things that we believe. And so the Nicene Creed was written in the, what's called the Council of Nicaea, in 300-something, I, I used to have that memorized. I have, I have no clue now what it was. But it was directly in response to Arianism, which was a heresy that was going on that said that Jesus was from God but was not co-equal or was not co-eternal, that Jesus was also created. And they said, no, we're going to get together and fix this so that anybody who believes that knows they're not lined up exactly with us. And that is like what we celebrate at this time of year, right? That God eternal came in human form. He wasn't just created and given this presence of God, but it was God himself. And that's what we believe and that's what makes it so 
special. That's what makes this scripture in Isaiah 64 so special. It wasn't that God came down and there was this created being that was given some attributes of God that also experienced suffering and pain and whatever. But no, this was God himself. And so after we pray, we're going to say the Nicene Creed together. Um, But this morning, as we pray, you'll hear my prayer for you, but I ask that you would also be in prayer to ask for God to reveal to you places where you really are seeking power, right? That you really need something to change. And ask for that. Don't be afraid to ask for that. But also be willing to acknowledge if that doesn't happen right away or in the way that you saw it, it doesn't remove any power from God. God may just be doing things a different way. I'm certain Joseph sitting in a well about to be sold into slavery wasn't his prayer was, God, let me get out of this well, right? More than likely, I'm guessing. It would have been my prayer. But next thing you know, he's third in command of Egypt, and through that, God saved his people. So there may be something else. And so it doesn't remove God's power that he didn't mysteriously provide a ladder to get out, right? And so we're going to pray for those things. There's things in my life right now that I'm praying that God does. And I'm believing it. But it may not happen the way I want it. So this morning, pray those things. But also pray it with the acknowledgement that God may let us sit in silence for a little while. Because he has better plans. We are the clay. He is the potter. And that is a comforting place to be. So this morning, let's pray. God, we're thankful. We're thankful that you created us. We're thankful, as Mr. Will said this morning, that we got up and saw our reflections in the mirror, that we are still alive, that you still have a purpose for us on this earth. And my prayer is that we live into that purpose, that we know and acknowledge that you are the potter. You are the one who forms us. You are the one who made us. We can't dictate to you what to do. But we do ask. God, we ask that you would hear our prayers and that you would work miraculously. God, if that didn't happen the way that we pray for, we ask that you would change us in the waiting. That you would change us in the silence. That you would reveal yourself more and more to us. Help us to know that as you suffered, we don't have to suffer alone. That you are with us. And because you conquered death, we know that even if we do suffer here, that that's just temporary. And what's eternal is life with you. What's eternal is what you're creating us into, the new Jerusalem, that the new heaven and the new earth would be the place that our heart seeks. But God, even as we talk this morning, would we be people who make life sweeter 
for others because of what you've done in us and what you allow us to be for other people. So God, this morning we pray that as we move through these four weeks of expectantly waiting, that you would move us and change us. God, we love you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.